Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a Monday of celebration for so many fans this morning, obviously, or this night, I should say, uh, as so many fans are still feeling it. But Sarah, I got to admit, it's the Spain and Fitz podcast edition. We're not on radio, but I feel like you just wanted to make sure that the podcast came through so I could have a moment to celebrate the fact that my beloved Raiders beat the Chiefs. That's got to be the whole crux of what we're going to talk about, right? Yeah, I mean, I got to have a little time uh, on Friday of last <laughs> week to celebrate the Bears dispatching the Bucks and Tom Brady not knowing what down it was and, you know, gloat about that win that you just don't expect to happen that maybe is a bit of a surprise. And I think we could both say the same for the Raiders and Chiefs, not just because obviously the Chiefs are the cream of the crop in the NFL, but because you and I both read off a handful of statistics when we made our picks on Friday that pretty much set that up for a, a sound beating and uh, it didn't happen. The yeah. beating did not occur. I'm starting to wonder if those statistics are Oakland Raiders statistics because the Vegas Raiders, perfect 1-0 and against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. You know, the surprising part of it is I said on air on Friday that the only way in my mind they were going to win is if Josh Jacobs carried the ball, you know, more times than anyone ever has. And then it turned out that wasn't their strategy at all. I mean, that was part of it, but uh, it was it was incredible to see the kind of speed that Henry Ruggs has. And Sarah, I, I will say this is my one, and there were two big takeaways from this. Number one is that Derek Carr and that offense can be incredibly explosive this year. It's going to be fun to watch. Mm. But I thought the most significant thing, and this is you know in the weeds, but I rewatched the game a couple of times because of some work I was doing. And in the second half, the defensive line for the Raiders did something I've never seen before. In the first half, they were charging after Mahomes, and he was just moving out of the way and beating them. In the second half, they were standing around for a split second, and even when they started their pass rush, there was this level of hesitation. It's like they understood not to go after Mahomes, but instead to sort of stay back, and it confused him. And the interesting uh, stats and info stat is that the Raiders, the, the Raiders were able to get pressure on Mahomes 29 times in the game. But that wasn't because they were winning. The pass rush win rate was actually in the favor of the Chiefs. It's because Patrick Mahomes held the ball for a longer amount of time per snap than ever in his career. So Mm -hmm. it tells you he got a little confused, and the Raiders managed to mix things up. That was the most stunning part of it to me. Well, and, and the thing to think about is, as we're watching Patrick Mahomes run around back there, sometimes it results in miraculous plays. And we love to talk about it. We say, oh, just, you know, Patrick Mahomes doing Mahomes things. We make some crazy throw. And even in this broadcast this week, I remember them saying, you know, every other coach in the league is going to yell at their quarterback. But Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have a kind of agreement like, all right, you're allowed to do that because you're going to pull it off. But the stress that that puts on your offensive line when your dropbacks are that deep and when you're fading off to one side or the other for that long, um, that's real tough on the offensive line to continue protecting you. And so I think you're right. They kind of threw him off with occasional pressure, then backing off. And I, I'm we talked about not only hobbled because of injuries, but just a not good defense for the Raiders this year. And they just beat the Chiefs. Yeah, and you know the one thing I'll say is that they've got so many first and second year players on that defense. I think by the end of the year they're going to be a lot better. They'll, they'll have a shot at being mediocre by the end of the year. But you're right, right well, now and they were rested, yeah, which is right. huge. Well, uh, yeah, and that and it's now the Raiders get a bye week and they'll go into Tampa Bay next. But three and two at this point in the season is not something I ever thought I'd see. Uh, and and frankly, I thought as you know that they were sort of a fringe playoff team. But I feel pretty good about it now. I mean, this is. This is a Raiders team that should now start to get some expectations, and I, that's that's what you want in year three with Gruden. So, well, I, and a lot of people are going to be eating their words on Gruden for sure if he if he pulls more of this off. I think a lot of the things he said when he first took the job were the kind of things that had you kind of giving him the side eye of like he doesn't like statistics. He wants football to be back the way it used to be, right? And then that salary, um, 
and, you know, the Khalil Mack trade. There were so many things right off the top that had people really down on him. I always point out that is Gruden fired yet or whatever it is. Is Gruden's mm-hmm. contract done yet website? Um, but looking pretty good right now. So uh, congrats to you. I will say that you and I have both been in a position many times where the expectations for our team aren't that high. So what we want is to enjoy the season. Like, give us enough hope to have an enjoyable time on the weekends. And my Bears are 4-1. and one. I don't think they're that good of a team, but I'm not ragging on a squad that figures out how to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. And, and that's one of my big messages. You know, I had some people yesterday, and it's small. Most of my tweets yesterday were celebratory. Most of my texts were celebratory. But I had a handful of people that are like, why are you all celebrating like you just won the Super Bowl? To which I say, it's 2020. Let me have some damn enjoyment, right? You know, like at some point, your team's 4-1, and one, mine's 3-2. and two. I, That's worth celebrating. I don't really care where it ends up for today. For right now, it's fun to be a football fan if you're Spain or Fitz. So I'll take that all day. And that's not that's a level of joy that obviously Cowboys fans aren't waking up with today for a a myriad of reasons. I think you and I can agree that yesterday was one of the most heartbreaking and heartwarming all at the same time moments to see Dak go through what he went through with the compound ankle fracture, uh, but to see the reaction of everybody. I mean, it was one of those moments where I I found myself getting teary-eyed just watching him cry, but then seeing everybody come up to him afterwards, it was just such a reminder of how special a connection so many of these players have with Dak, even the fans have, Jason Garrett has, across the board. uh, You saw the respect for him in in, in the worst moment he could imagine on the field this year, not not in life, but on the field. And to see so many people sort of go to him was it was in some strange way to me heartwarming to see that love for Dak. It was tough to watch. Um, I don't know why. So there were two things that got to me. One was his level of calm as he was holding his leg essentially together. Oh, yeah. And I did not blame Tony Romo for a second, nor did I have any inclination to mock him on Twitter for saying, let's hope it's a cramp, because that's exactly what I was thinking when they first panned to Dak. He's holding on to his calf and he looks incredibly calm. And then Tony Romo said, oh, no. And I looked in my eye, moved to the lower part of his leg. And that's when we realized he was essentially, you know, either holding his leg together or just in so much shock that he was trying to maneuver his leg in a position that would, you know, not be as as floppy. Um, That, to me, kind of was that gut punch feeling. And then when Jason Garrett comes over, his old coach, a guy that was his coach for such, you know, the entirety of his career up until this year, put a hand sort of on the back of McCarthy. And they're both, you know, trying to give give this guy some some words to calm him down and to get him through it. Um, and then, like you mentioned, all the different players coming over and the tears and the fist raise on his way out. I mean, this is one of those where it's not just all the work that goes into a season and the season's for for sure over, but long-term questions about how it heals, how much movement he has, mobility, and of course, everyone thought of the contract right away. And Fitz, this is a terrible time for this to happen for everyone involved. If the Cowboys had given him a ton of money and he had taken it, this would be bad for them because they'd have money sunk in a guy that couldn't play, just like we saw with Alex Smith. If Dak didn't take the deal and played on the franchise tag, which is what he did, now we're all wondering, is there $110 million sitting on the table he's never going to get? And neither is anyone's fault. The only people at fault are people who criticize a player like Dak for going after what he thinks he deserves, or people who criticize the Cowboys who gave him a very competitive offer that was better than Aaron Rodgers and didn't want him to nudge that little bit more. Now, if if they lose him to some other team because they didn't want to pay, we can criticize the move that they you know, underestimated his willingness to leave. But I saw way too many people attacking the Cowboys. This is the risk you take as Dak for betting on yourself. And when it works out, great. 
And when it doesn't, it's no one's fault. It's just tragic. No one's fault is the hardest part for people to to sort of accept. And I agree with you, actually. I think when you look across the board for the Cowboys, I mean, they're as screwed as Dak is at this point. They're still too talented a roster, in my mind, to be able to tank even if they wanted to. And Andy Dalton is actually a pretty good quarterback. I mean, if you're talking Andy Dalton, the backup, I feel like you got a better situation than a lot of teams. So Andy Dalton's still going to be able to win some games. And I don't know that I'm willing to count the Cowboys out because the rest of their roster is very good. So you mm. put Dalton in this situation, all they got to do is win seven or eight games to win the East, and, and they may be able well, to yeah, do that. Well, yeah, I guess it means what you mean by count them out, right? Like, it's a terrible division. Right. Andy Dalton is a guy who's been competitive in the past and has a lot of experience as a smart quarterback and can be fine. But their defense is absolute garbage trash. So he's going to have to be a little bit more than fine to keep them competitive. And then once you make it out of that division, you're probably getting spanked as soon as you get into the postseason. Uh, Oh, yeah. No, they're not going to put themselves in elite category. The problem is for any Cowboys fan that's like, oh, well, we'll just tank. I I don't even see. Even if if Andy Dalton isn't anything other than just meh Andy Dalton, that's still going to be enough to get them to six or seven wins in my mind. And yeah, for sure. And six or seven wins ain't going to get you Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, right? So, you know, I, the the Cowboys are as screwed in the, all of this as Dak is in some ways. But from a very human level, you you just hate to see that happen mm-hmm. for Dak. I, my well, hope this is This year that, especially. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he lost his brother. He, on Mental Health Awareness Day, was speaking eloquently about that and is someone who has talked about his own issues and have whatever length this recovery might be in the midst of doubting yourself and the choices you made about your finances and everything else, it's it's a lot. Yeah, well, my hope is that Dak still gets paid by somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether that's the Cowboys or whether that's somebody else, I, I don't really care at this point. Well, and the Cowboys are saying the right thing, thankfully, Yeah, across the board. That doesn't mean anything necessarily m- months from now when the decision actually has to be made, but at least they're saying the right thing now. Well, now we go from one quarterback being injured to another quarterback coming back from injury that was probably the most uncomfortable I can ever remember being watching a game that didn't involve the Raiders. Like, I'm used to feeling, you know, icky during a Raiders game. There was a moment where I saw Alex Smith walk out for the Washington football team, and Sarah, like, I got nervous. I got nervous energy. I got, like, goosebumps. I mean, I, I sat there and thought... I'm so happy for him, but at the same time, so petrified for his wife and kids and the family. Like, I, they know what they're taking on. I get it. But still, like, I, I was so scared for him as a human being that it was uncomfortable to watch on that first sack, especially. Oh, heartbroken. Yeah, it was such a mix of emotions. So I'm, I actually, a lot of people will be happy to hear this. I was in the kitchen doing dishes like a lady should. And I had my uh, I had my red zone on my phone above the sink, and so I'm listening to Scott Hansen say, you know, Kyle Allen, w- watching him go out. I'm thinking to myself, oh man, Dwayne Haskins isn't even in the building, right? They they not only demoted him to quarterback three, but he's sick. He's got some sort of illness, so he's not in the building. All they have left is Kirk Cousins, and you hear them say, you know, they're going go to go. I think it was, um, yeah, thank you, Alex Smith. They're going to go to the two minute warning, and I'm like, oh man, this is happening. And that gave us all enough time to think. As the several minutes before he actually went in, it wasn't, you know, bang, bang. Um, this is happening. And they showed his wife and kids. And I was both really happy for him because there was this manifestation of something he had worked towards that wasn't an empty idea. It wasn't he earned his spot back on the roster, which he already had and which they owed him a ton of money for. It was he's on the roster and now he's actually going in the game. He is their number two quarterback. Um, but once the snaps actually happened, it was this gut just 
wringing out of my insides, worried about him. And for it to be Aaron Donald and the Rams and that porous offensive line, I think there were seven sacks or something on the day, if not more, um, every single time he got touched, I freaked out. And unfortunately for him, the numbers were terrible. I think they had a minus six yards for the half. Um, and so I don't know that he himself will consider that a full realization of what he wanted to be able to do, which was to go back and truly play football. Or if it really was just, I want to be in, in uniform on an NFL field again and prove to myself and my kids and everyone else that you can work your way back. And if that was the case, then, you know, more power to him because none of us would have believed this if you had told us this when he heard it or or especially when he was on the brink of death, literally. Yeah, and, I, you know, you make such a good point about probably not what he wanted. I just think that I I was so consumed with, oh, my God, don't get hurt, that that's all I was thinking about. You know, I saw some of the, I think it might have been Tariko later in the night that said, obviously, the NFL Comeback Player of the Year doesn't matter what he does on the field. And I think there is that sort of sentiment. But at the same time, you're right for the Washington football team. They need him to do something on the field if he's gonna if he's gonna play. I just I can't bring my mind around being comfortable. All I can think about is the image of what that leg looks like, right? And and yeah. you know I know that that's not fair Which to all of the. Which was not like a leg. It's essentially uh, what it looked like. I, I mean, it's not it no longer look like a leg. And he's put in all the work to not be defined by that. But I just oh, I can't I can't clear it out of my mind, sir. I can't clear yeah. it out of my mind. I will say um, somebody on a call today. I, mean, I won't want out them because I think some people might find it uh, you know something not nice to say and I don't know if he wanted to go public with it but he did say I'm going to need to see a lot more than that for comeback player of the year not in a negative way toward Alex Smith but like going out there and taking a bunch of sacks and having less than like a yard per passing attempt to me is not earning that honor I would need to look at what the actual description of the award is right is it overcoming great odds to achieve success is it overcoming an injury to regain your place what are what are the parameters for the honor because to me just being considered the backup quarterback and going in and playing an NFL game is more than enough considering the circumstances but I have no idea it's kind of like the MVP is it the best player on the best team is it the player that if they didn't have they would be the worst like you know it's semantics um, and, and I, I think it's he's more than earned the honor. I just don't know if he qualifies. Yeah, that's a, that's going to be interesting to keep an eye out. One more thing, Sarah. We made it through this whole podcast so far, and we haven't even said congratulations to the world champion Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know exactly what I expected in Game Six. I, I really don't. I mean, I I remember sitting there for Game Five and thinking I was watching one of the better ends to a basketball game I've ever seen between two stars that were giving everything that they possibly had and watching Jimmy Butler not even be able to stand up straight because he's so gassed and then go out and continue to do it every time he was up and on the floor. That was so electric. Mm-hmm. And then when game six happened, I just kept, I couldn't shake the feeling that Miami just ran out of gas. And, and yeah. I, I respect the hell out of their fight, but the Lakers were the better team and they won the championship. And I know that's oversimplification, but that's what I felt like yesterday. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, it's remarkable what the Heat did with injuries, being a team that was well ahead of schedule, if on any schedule that someone had for 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 a finals appearance. Jimmy Butler was unbelievable, but you know to play whatever forty seven to forty eight minutes or something um, in that game five, it was hard to see him turning around. I don't know if you saw the shot of him leaving the presser. Um, and it wasn't like I'm injured. It was like my whole body hurts so bad I can barely. It was me getting out of bed in the morning, basically, is what he looked like. Um, and that's when I was like, ooh, this doesn't look great for uh, you're going to have to do a, a lot of ice baths and a lot of stim and everything else to get ready for the next game. Um, so props to the Heat. But there's so many parts of this Lakers run fits that 
I think we'll get a little bit lost. Um, one is it took almost a, a full year of focusing on this pursuit. It was, I think, 356 days from the first day of the season to the last. That's a whole year, not just a season, but a whole year of starting out with a goal in mind and being able to maintain it. LeBron switched to point guard for the first time in his 17th season and led the league in assists for the first time ever. He had defensive focus from the start of the season to finish like we haven't seen before, maybe early on in his career, but who can remember that far back? It was 17 years ago, right? <laughs> like, But we've, we're so used to seeing him kind of coast in the regular season and then hit the easy button in the playoffs. All year long, he knew what it would take after last year's disappointment of not making the postseason with a new-look team and, and with not a lot of depth that he would need to be that guy every night. And he was, defensively and offensively. You think about Kobe's passing, David Stern's passing, the issues with China and that awkward preseason trip and the criticism that he and the rest of the NBA got for their sort of middling stance on that, ESPN and Disney included in all that criticism. And then you look at the bubble and the mental health requirements of staying focused in there, of not being near your family, of not being near all the amenities and the luxuries that you're used to. We can all say, hey, I'd love a couple months in Disney World, but not someone like LeBron who like has millions of dollars of like like nighttime sleep pod that like regenerates him into a 25 year old every night. I don't know how much of that he could bring into the bubble, but you add all of that together. Plus a couple new faces when he loses one of the core parts of the team to an opt out before the bubble. And it's just unbelievable. And you know what fits as a huge Jordan fan and a huge defender of Jordan who spent far too much of my time buying into everyone else's, you know, as, as, um, assertion that we needed to make this LeBron versus MJ for all of his career, for all of his life from about age 16 on, I I lost too much time to that where I would be looking for statistics or moments where I could say that Michael was better instead of just saying, who cares? Different era, different players. Let me just enjoy this guy for how great he is. And in the last couple of years when I've been able to do that, it's been so much better. And I actually feel sorry for people. I don't blame them because more so now than ever before, we are definitely in a time when we need to be right And when we're proven wrong, we will go find something to cling to to make sure we don't have to admit that we were wrong. And people will do that with LeBron. They'll go find reasons to hate him. They'll find statistics that tell you why he's not great. They'll get frustrated about little things instead of being able to say, hey, you know what? Michael Jordan was super awesome. And LeBron James is also super awesome. One of the best people to ever pick up a basketball and put it in a hoop in our lifetime. Let's enjoy it while we can. And so I'm just, I'm so done with does this title and this ring change the conversation? Let's stop having the conversation. It's dumb. Uh, well, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. MJ versus LeBron is the equivalent of my dad can beat up your dad. Everybody wants to yell about it, <laughs> yes. and nobody's ever going to prove it. Until I see two dads right. going at it, like... Right, it, we it, need a time machine, and we can put them in the same time era with the same rules, with the same thing, and everything else. And even then, we would not be satisfied. But I also heard a show today that was talking about why the Lakers are going to win the next three. And I'm like, can we just let this one, <laughs> just just let this one live? Look, I, I don't know what the NBA is going to look like in a few months. Nobody does. But the one thing I do know is that this was a team that had a million reasons why they could have folded and they didn't. And I think a lot of the reason that they stayed together was because LeBron did a hell of a job as a leader. Not not just good on the on the court, 
great on the court, but also great as a leader, keeping a bunch of people together in a year that would be easy to be distracted from. I'll always look back at this title run for that LeBron specifically and say, hey, and for the Lakers as a whole, looking at it, like you got to look at it and say, the AD transaction has worked out. Frank Vogel has worked out as a coach. Everything they traded away was worth it. They got this title. They put themselves in a situation where when AD's playing well and LeBron's playing well, even if it's a passing of the torch eventually, that's exactly what they wanted. Like, Kudos to the Lakers for figuring out how to get a championship. Kudos to LeBron for doing a great job. Kudos to AD for getting his first one and, and looking across all of that saying, man, it doesn't matter what's coming or what's been in this moment. The Lakers did something incredibly difficult by winning a title in the bubble, and that's all we need to focus on right now. Agreed. And I also think it was interesting to see LeBron say, you know, the Lakers organization wants their respect and, you know, Frank wants his respect and I want my damn respect. I don't know if that's still necessary. I don't blame him for it, though, right? Because, again, I would be frustrated if my whole career was spent comparing me to some ghost of the past that I could never actually play to prove anybody wrong or right, and that my durability and consistency was somehow held against me. I make it to the finals every single year. I don't always win, but is my team always the best? Is my team losing because of me, or have I done it with a, a, a big three? Have I done it with a big two? Have I done it in Cleveland where they never won before against a dynastic team in the Warriors? Like, what what hasn't he done that people would need to see in order to believe? Um, and I would be frustrated if I were him. But I also think that he has probably come to peace with it in, in a lot of ways because there are enough people calling him the king and talking about how great he is that I don't think he can feel too sorry for himself. Right. Um, but, I mean, props to everybody in the bubble from the players to Adam Silver, to you know Malik Andrews, who's freaking 25 and was in the bubble for 100-plus days and crushed the coverage, to the activism, to the balancing of everything else, to proving and showing that if you wear masks and test and social distance and follow protocol, you can eradicate something that our country has not figured out how to deal with yet. And this is not politics. This is straight-up facts. Adam Silver needs to go to the White House and figure out how they can prevent themselves from spreading it across multiple parts of their administration. Because, I mean, wouldn't our country be better off if we could all figure out to do whatever the hell the NBA just did? I realize it costs money. I realize it's a small sample size. But if you asked any one of us before the bubble started, if they would go start to finish without a single player getting it, It'd be remarkable. Yeah, that's stunning. Just ask the college football community, NFL community Uh that's continually rocked by it. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that moves forward, Sarah, but you're right. I, I think we can't take anything away from the Lakers, and right now, in addition to celebrating the Lakers, we should continue to celebrate the NBA for what they've been able to, to get done in the bubble. It's really been a great example for all of us. If you've just tuned in tonight for the first time, we do this all the time. So even when we're not on air, you can get a little flavor of Spain and Fitz by subscribing to the podcast. And when we are on air, you get exclusive stuff here you can't get anywhere else. So that's a reason that you should rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, family, and enemies. Tell everybody yeah, we can to say shit out. here. Yeah, well, that's the best part. You know, it's like... <laughs> we, the, the, <laughs> Oh, man. We didn't have to say shit because both of our teams won. You know who's saying shit right now? Our producer, Stosh. That guy gets to walk around every day chest puffed up about his Super Bowl champion Chiefs and their quarterback that they're going to have for at least another decade dominating the NFL. Well, guess what, Stosh? Drop a bunch of shits today because Fitz team beat you and you got to take that L. We'll be back. (laughs) 
And on we that know, note, that's why we have to celebrate now because this might be the only time we get to do it. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. On that note, we'll be back in some form or fashion throughout the course of the week. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz, the podcast edition. We appreciate you, Sarah. Let's go keep celebrating. Whoop, whoop. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.